Welcome to the Performax Podcast. This is Aaron West, your host and owner of Performax Labs, and I'm here with your co-host and VP, Derek Brooks. How are you doing today, Derek? Very good, Aaron. Thank you. Um, so I think we're just going to take uh, today to talk about uh, proprietary blends, um, what they are, uh, why they're used, um, and why we choose not to use them. So if you want to kind of get into, I guess, proprietary blends, their history, and kind of your thoughts on them. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, actually, when I started in this industry a while back, I, I would say 90% or more, like pre-workouts, for example, were all proprietary blends. You know, the 1MR, the Jack 3D, um, you know, had X amount of grams, and you didn't really know what was in it. You knew what was in it, but you didn't know, like, the exact dosing. So, essentially, what a proprietary blend would be is... You know, this is a three gram dose of these ingredients, and they're supposed to be listed from highest dosing to lowest dosing in that order. Uh, but you don't need to disclose exactly the milligrams or gram dosings on any individual item. So, you know, our industry has kind of used that as a way to either protect their formulas or hide them. It really depends uh, on the brand and their stance on using them. I know us as a brand have always been in favor of them because we want our end customer to know exactly what they're getting. And people that have certain goals in mind need to know exactly what they're ingesting because maybe they have, you know, a coach or something that's telling them what to take. And we just want to be as, you know, forthcoming and let them trust us as much as possible. So that is exactly what a, a proprietary blend would be. Yeah, just to reiterate, um, you, you did say in favor of them. I think what you meant was in favor of open labels. So, um, yeah, Performax, we only do open labels. We don't use any proprietary blends. And I think what the um, general public would then believe is, okay, well, they, they must be inherently against proprietary blends, which both me and you aren't necessarily against proprietary blends. Um, but on the other hand, we did want to have a level of transparency for the end customer and a level of openness where they could actually trust uh, the formulation itself. So as you kind of touched on, you know, proprietary blends are a blend of multiple ingredients, anywhere from two to it could be hundreds of ingredients um, in a list. And then there's one dose, which is all those ingredients combined into that one dose listed. So for example, you could have 10 ingredients and that proprietary blend could be five grams. Now, if those were 10 very <clears throat> small dose ingredients, things like horidine, hygienamine, alpha-yo, you could be getting plenty of all of those. On the other hand, if you had a five gram blend and the first ingredient is creatine monohydrate and the next ingredient is beta-alanine, there's a pretty good chance that you're gonna be getting uh, an underdosed product. And so, um, yeah, for a long time, proprietary blends were in, like you said, 90 to you know 95% of all products, uh, you know, five or 10 years ago. Now, I believe the consumer, the end consumer is just getting more educated. And as the end consumer gets more educated and understands, okay, I want, you know, four to six grams of pure citrulline, or I want 3.2 grams of beta alanine. Now they can start to make these decisions on exactly what they want to put in their body and then the only way for them to know is to have an open label so i think that the end of proprietary blends or you know the industry transitioning away from proprietary blends all comes down to the end consumer just being more educated um whereas like you said a long time ago with 
something like no explode being like a 21 gram scoop having like you know 20 to 30 different ingredients and all proprietary blends you literally had no idea what you were getting um now on the other hand i do think that you know some companies use proprietary blends uh intelligently and that would most generally be within a stim blend and the reason being is because a lot of stim blends aren't going to have an established clinical dose so for example you know, citrulline, we know based on clinical studies done in healthy humans that you're going to need anywhere from three to six grams of pure citrulline. On the other hand, there's no established dose for something like hordenine. 15 milligrams might make one person feel a certain way and it might make someone else feel completely different. Once you start to add in different ingredients like phenylethylamines with that hordenine, um, you know, tyrosine, caffeine, things like that, you're really trying to create a, a an effect, but that effect isn't being based on clinical dosages. So I think that's where both me and you are a little bit more okay with proprietary blends. Um, even though we choose not to use them, I, I think that would be one realm where uh, we wouldn't necessarily be completely against them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, there are pros and cons to this on both sides everywhere. I mean, so since we are one of the brands that does use open labels and clinical dosages, like, you know, we, we've brought in some ingredients to the market and other companies have also brought in ingredients to the market. And when you're open label, you kind of just introduce that to the entire community. So all the research and things that are like, hey, I brought this to the market. This is the dose I used. It's attractive. It works. People jump on it. And then any other brand can really copy it. Now, we, we're OK with it because, you know, from brand to brand, it's just friendly competition, I guess. But we're more concerned with getting the best result for the end customer. So I, I do love our position on regardless of anybody wants to copy us or even other brands copying other brands, whatever. Um, I just I, I feel like it's a risk that's worth that's worth it because we just want to make sure our customer is happy and knowing what they're getting. Yeah. And to kind of reiterate that point, uh, we were one of the first companies to introduce Eriodrensis to the market. Um, and this was, you know, roughly two to three years ago. Uh, I think we were technically like the second company. Um, and within using Eriodrensis, there was a lot of legwork that went into finding what the appropriate dose was, finding out what ingredients acted synergistically with Eriodrensis, what potentiated its effects, you know, what made it better. Um, and that was a lot of trial and error. It wasn't, it wasn't easy and it wasn't simple. It was a lot of back and forth testing um, to kind of find out where uh, that pin fell. And so with that Oxymax, which is the ingredient we launched Eriodrensis in, that was actually a proprietary blend. And, you know, this again, this was three years ago. Um, and what that did was it offered some level of protection. So that next company that saw Eriodrensis and goes, oh, that's that new hot stimulant. They didn't just get to take our, our legwork, our, our R&D, and just slap it into their product. Now that we're, we are 100% open label, um, people can do that. And so that does um, – it makes it harder for us to be competitive against uh, the, comp, you know, the competition. You know, for example, Hypermax Extreme, number one best pre-workout on the market, and it's 100% open label. It wouldn't be very difficult for a competitor to take a look at what we've done and mimic it to a certain degree and then be able to come out with a very similarly great product. But on the other hand, like you said, 
I think the reason that we're more willing to do that and more willing to take that risk and kind of open ourselves up is because we truly care about the end consumer and what the end consumer wants. So while it is a negative to kind of put it all out there for our competition to see, we're really putting it all out there for the end consumer to see. So there are definitely, you know, some benefits in terms of protecting innovation. Um, but as a whole, I think we've, we've decided being transparent to the end consumer is going to be more important um, than trying to protect these innovations for a very short period of time. Because over time, you know, no matter if we use a prop blend or not, over time people will figure it out. We just might be able to make that process take a little bit longer, you know, by using a prop blend. So I think to add to that too, you use the word synergistically. I think some people, and we do a great job on our website, anybody that wants to go on to uh, performaxlabs.com, we put the science on a lot of our, our formulas there. And uh, sometimes what people consider clinical dosing, it depends on what ingredients you're combining. So if you can have ingredients that work synergistically, you may not need 300 milligrams of caffeine or X amount of a certain pump if there's other ingredients that work together to give you a better advantage, you know, from point A to Z. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and then a lot of that synergism, you know, uh, comes from trial and error. But then, you know, with a brand like ours, it's on full display. So yeah. now, are people going to get that? Are people going to see, oh, well, why did they choose to use this or choose to use that? We don't know. Um, and, you know, it's, it's it's something, I guess, up in the air. But if if they did figure it out or, you know, even worse, if they just full on copied everything we did, then yeah, then then they have a great product that we're the ones that did all the legwork for. So, um, like I said, we're not technically, you know, hundred percent against proprietary blends. Um, but you know, for us and for that transparency for the end consumer, I think it's more important to kind of give that consumer a uh, kind of a full open look at what they're putting in their body. Another kind of, um, example of that would be S nitroso glutathione that was included in Basomax. I believe we were the first company and still the only company to use S-nitrosoglutathione, which is basically essentially almost like pure nitric oxide. Once uh, you consume it and it gets into the bloodstream, um, the nitrate is cleaved and you're left with pure circulated nitric oxide. So we use that at a 10 milligram dose. If I threw that into a proprietary blend, our competition would have no clue how much to use and then they would have to go to the drawing board and they would have to try and figure out you know what's the appropriate dose what is too little what is too much and try and establish that dose for themselves but because we did an open label uh again we did that legwork for them but you know only to drive that point home we're, we're okay with doing that because it helps end consumer know what they're putting in their body yeah absolutely i to that point i guess you drove it home like you said but you know more isn't always better 10 milligrams might not sound like a lot but it's exactly what's necessary for that specific ingredient so you know it would be easy to hide because it doesn't seem like it's that much but you know again it's just another way that we've been completely open to our customers yeah definitely um Anything else you want to touch on in, in terms of proprietary blends, uh, you know, maybe other companies that use them that you're okay with or, you know, instances where we're not okay with it? Uh, I mean, there are brands out there that do use them that I completely back. Like, I, I think they have great research. I think they have great formulators. Um, and then there's just the opposite. 
So it's just a matter of researching the brands that you want to use as a consumer. Um, you know, we, like I said, on our website, you'll always see our references and our science behind everything. So you can really use, you know, certain products with a level of trust. Uh, and I encourage people to do that if they try other brands to do the same thing, do their own research on those websites or, you know, just use brands that are more trustworthy, you know, than maybe some that pop up out of nowhere. Yeah, I think um, one area of proprietary blends where a lot of people just don't even think about it, but it's uh, completely applicable to the conversation is protein. I mean, think about the whole protein spiking um you know, incident that went on several years ago where tons of companies were ousted for basically using um, pure uh, individual amino acids, adding them to the protein blend. And then when you actually went to go test for protein content, they were recognized, you know, as, as increasing the nitrogen content. So the amount of protein actually tested out much higher. So if you said, you know, 25 grams of protein, you might actually only have let's say 15 grams of protein and then 10 grams of free form amino acid. If you actually sent that to the lab to test out for protein content based on the nitrogen content, it actually would test out to 25 grams of protein. Um, and that's an area where I just don't think people have demanded or really gotten into, um, complete and full transparency. There are definitely a few companies that have started to do that. And I think that's, you know, um, commendable, uh, and it's something that we plan to do, you know, when we release our protein in the next, you know, few months is is the actual amount of total WPI or total, you know, whey protein concentrate or total milk isolate. And then exactly how much protein is yielded from from that that amount. I think people get, you know, <clears throat> maybe confused on how that works. For example, uh, whey protein concentrate concentrate 80 is 80 percent protein. If you put in 30 grams of WPC-80, you're not getting 30 grams of protein. You're only getting, you know, 80% of that 30 grams would be protein. Um, so I think that level of transparency that's starting to happen within protein is also super beneficial for the industry and hopefully starts to move people in that direction to where protein spiking isn't, uh, isn't common anymore. Because, um, again, that's, that's a whole area where proprietary blends kind of dominated. You'd have no idea how much actual concentrate isolate, you know, casein, milk isolate you're getting. There would always be like, oh, well, we added X amount of glutamine or alanine or glycine um, into there as well. You don't know how much of comprised, you know, th those free-form amino acids. And at the end of the day, you really didn't know how much actual, you know, bonded protein you're getting. Um, so I think that's a whole nother, you know, side of the coin where most people don't think about proprietary blends in that, in that situation, but it's a hundred percent applicable to the conversation. Yeah, exactly. I guess a lot of people attach a lot of these conversations to pre-workouts, but protein has always been a problem area in the past, like you mentioned, and people used to advertise it like five grams of glutamine. Like, yeah, that's naturally occurring when the breakdown of protein, like you're advertising something that's already there. Um, but yeah, to your point with our, you know, potential future protein, it's straight to the point. And that's what I think a lot of these protein companies need to be is more just straight to the point. Like this is what you're getting and not like, hey, look at all this fancy stuff like it's protein and we know why we want it. So just give me the best quality protein you can offer me, basically. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that that will be another way that we we attempt to be transparent, attempt to kind of give that end consumer um, confidence in our product, just like we have done in uh, all of our other products. So I think that was kind of the point of this of of this subject or this topic was, you know, just because we're uh, open label brand and we chose to do that doesn't mean that we're completely against every other brand that uses proprietary blends. I think they can be used intelligently. Um, and I think they can protect, you know, IP and intellectual property for, you know, these well done products. On the other hand, that's just not what we want to do for the end consumer only because we want to be able to provide that end consumer with, with full transparency and knowing exactly what they're, they're putting into their body. So exactly. Um, so unless you have anything else that you want to touch on in terms of uh, this topic, we could probably jump into any Q&As that we've gotten. We do actually have a few. So I can read those and we can uh, discuss those now if you'd like. Yeah, let's hop into it. Okay. Uh, so first question that I have here, what makes a pre-workout quote-unquote high stim and is the amount of caffeine that is in it um, the main factor that you play a role when you're considering something high stim. So that's an interesting question because um, I think off the bat, that would probably be the most common denominator. I think that would be the first place that a majority of the population or, or consumer base would look at is where's the caffeine and if it's low caffeine, okay, this is low stim. If it's high caffeine, okay, this is high stim. That's not necessarily true. Um, there's, there's tons of pre-workouts on the market that contain very similar amounts of caffeine that feel completely different. Um, I drink, you know, a, a bang fairly often and has 300 milligrams caffeine. I wouldn't consider that, you know, a high stim feeling. Is it a lot of caffeine? Absolutely. But the feeling that I get from just a pure 300 milligrams caffeine is nothing overwhelming or, or too much. On the other hand, you take a pre-workout that has 300 milligrams caffeine, 200 milligrams of DMHA, um, you know, three milligrams of alpha yohimbine. That is going to feel a world of difference from the same 300 milligrams that you would get in Bang. So while that seems to be the most kind of common denominator among uh, the easiest way to measure whether it's high stim or not, uh, I think people need to be careful. I think people need to kind of look at the entire package and not just um, – the, the stim complex or not just the caffeine content. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's kind of like even my point earlier with, you know, people see these certain values of, you know, gram or milligram dosings of ingredients, but that whole synergism part is the whole point. Like maybe you don't need three or 400 milligrams of caffeine. Maybe you could even have 200 milligrams of caffeine, but if it's in the blend with other exotic stims and different things that will still hit really hard, you could still get that high stim feeling very easily, even though it might not be the highest caffeine dose out there. Yeah, 100%. And I think we saw that with a, a few you know, companies that were utilizing DMHA and Iriadrensis and Alpheo, um, and then coming in at like that 200, 250 gram milligram caffeine content. Those were still high stim products. Like no doubt those still, you know, sm kind of smacked you in the face. Um, on the other hand, like I said, I've had, very, very, very smooth, uh, 325 milligram, uh, pre-workouts. So yeah, I, I don't think it's a kind of a one size fits all when you bring into 
um, the you know bring into play all the other ingredients that are kind of involved in that stimulant blend. So what makes a high stim pre-workout? Definitely an appreciable dose of caffeine. Whether that is 250 or whether that's 450, caffeine will always be the backbone. So an appreciable dose of caffeine, and then depending you know on, on the entire formula, a few other uh, synergistic stimulants that kind of bring that caffeine up a notch. Uh, when you're in that 450 range, maybe you don't need, you know, a ton of other stimulants, but a few complementary uh, stims. If you're in that lower range, then yeah, you'd probably be want to be looking for um, a few other strong stims uh, dosed alongside that caffeine. But what I would say makes a high stim pre-workout is an appreciable dose of caffeine and then some synergistic stimulants that add uh, a benefit of focus, uh, intensity, uh, energy and drive on top of that that standalone caffeine dosage completely all right so staying on the pre-workout topic uh this is clearly for somebody that might not be able to take high stim so what pre-workout do you recommend for people with heart condition that don't allow them to take high stim pre-workouts or a lot of stimulants in general um so i think before we get into anything i think if anybody is you know experiencing any kind of um what would be the the best uh word kind of uh a medical condition like that before you do anything you need to talk to your doctor you need to review any product that you would take with your physician and make sure that they approve it before you just start consuming you know random products now once you've gone to that point and you've gotten an okay um you know and hopefully talking to talking with them about that specific supplement Obviously, the best bet would be stick with a non-stim pre-workout. So for us and the line that we have, that would absolutely be Vasomax. So what makes Vasomax, you know, a bit different uh, than other pre-workout or non-stim pre-workouts on the market is that it has a full nootropic blend. So a lot of these pump products or non-stim pre-workouts on the market, they have, you know, great doses of citrulline, glycerol, agmatine, norvaline, um, kind of like the very common common ingredients that you'd find in a, in a pump formula. And while those will give you some level of endurance, uh, pumps and performance, a large portion of what you're missing out on is that that mental effect, that that actual feeling, um, that tangible effect of I'm more focused, I'm more in the zone, I want to hit the, the, the weights harder, I want to, you know, do my workout more intensely. And I think that's what we were able to accomplish with something like Vasomax, um, utilizing Alpha GPC, you know, utilizing Kana and Hooperzine. There's a level of, of tunnel vision. There's a level of dialed in focus um, that you get from Vasomax that won't affect blood pressure. Actually, if you think about it, quite the opposite. Uh, anything that increases nitric oxide uh, should increase circulating blood flow and should, you know, theoretically reduce blood pressure. So I think something like Vasomax would, would probably be the first uh, product to look at. Um, but again, I say that under the premise that you would, you know, once you decided you were interested in a product, you would definitely want to run it by your doctor if you had any sort of medical condition. That's the best advice I could have given as well. That's so true. Um, so this next question, I get asked this question a lot. Um, are alpha max and mass max. So are there cycle periods, you know, should, you know, should you be on or off for specific cycle periods? I always see these as like great SARM or pro hormone alternatives 
Um, but with that, I know some people are confused on if they should be cycling them similar to those other types of products. So what would you say, Aaron? Um, yeah, so you should definitely be cycling um, those products, not from a, a health detriment um, side of things where that's most likely why you're, you know, you're cycling those pro hormones and SARMs and things like that is you're, you're trying to limit any sort of negative impact it could have on your health. Um, so you, you don't want to take them for too extended period of times. Uh, with something like Alpha Max and Mass Max, it would really just be, you know, diminishing returns. Over a certain period of time, you're not going to continue to get the same benefits that you would get within the first, you know, eight weeks. Um, and the reason is, is because the body's constantly trying to reach homeostasis. So when, when you're working within these natural pathways to increase testosterone production, to reduce estrogen, to increase protein synthesis, um, increase nitrogen retention, things along those lines, while these ingredients are effective at doing that, they are natural ingredients. And the body has these negative feedback loops and ways to you know, try and reach back to homeostasis and bring things back to, quote unquote, the norm. Now, when you're talking about these synthetic products, um, you know, for lack of lack of getting too scientific, you, they can basically override these negative feedback loops. They can basically, you know, um, continue to work over an extended period of time. And even then, you know, even then they become less effective over time, but not to the, the same degree that a natural product would. So generally what we recommend is both Alpha Max and Mass Max taken for eight weeks. Could you push it for 12 weeks? Absolutely. You know, some of the ingredients in Alpha Max, for example, like Forsklin, um, has always been studied in a 12-week time period, and that resulted in increased lean body mass, decreased fat mass, uh, slightly increased uh, free testosterone. Uh, and again, that was in a 12-week time period. So you could certainly take these products for, for 12 weeks. And even if you took them indefinitely, they're not going to, going, again, they're not going to hurt you. They're not going to be negative. But at a certain point, you're just not going to be getting the same uh, effects out of them that you would have in the first, you know, four, eight, or 12 weeks. So what we recommend, again, is, you know, eight-week cycles, basically. Eight weeks on, four weeks off. If at the end of that eight weeks it's still kicking, you're still loving it, the gains are still, uh, you know, um, moving forwards, then, yeah, push it to 12 weeks. Um, but definitely after those 12 weeks, uh, you would definitely want to take, you know, four to six weeks off at, at a very minimum. Do you recommend any PCT just to add to that, or are these okay to come off by themselves? No, yeah, absolutely no PCT required at all. Um, if anything, it's going to enhance natural uh, testosterone production, Um it's not going to, you know, kind of screw up the HPTA uh, like, you know, any sort of SARM or, or pro-hormone or steroid would. Um, in fact, both products, MassMax and AlphaMax, could be a part of a PCT. I would never, ever recommend um, somebody create a PCT around any sort of dietary supplement, any sort of natural product. A solid PCT would require much, much more than that. With that said, they could definitely be added uh, additions. They could definitely be beneficial um, additions to a well-put-together PCT in the realm of increasing uh, total testosterone production, controlling estrogen, controlling cortisol, increasing um, protein synthesis, increasing your appetite, ghrelin release uh, that, again, will increase appetite and um, 
uh, growth factor at least. Um, so definitely a lot of pathways that would help benefit a PCT, um, but again, wouldn't be the, the backbone of that PCT. So definitely no PCT needed. Um, they're 100% all natural. They're not going to uh, shut you down, so to speak. They'll actually help you um, function at a higher level. Um, so no PCT necessary, and they could actually be a part of a, of a well-put-together PCT. Well said. Uh, so next question. Any new products coming out in the near future? Um, so this is something that we were kind of going over uh, just on Monday with the entire team. We will be making a really big push uh, Q2, Q3, and even into Q4. I believe we have, let's see, so one brand new category. Um, we have a reformulation of, I think, three products that will be reformulated, upgraded, and reintroduced into the market. And then we also have, I think, two or three new uh, flavor additions. So Hy just, just to kind of throw it out there, Hypermax will be getting a third flavor. Um, e Max will be getting a third flavor. Um, we're going to reformulate two products, one that's already been discontinued that will be coming out um, you know, in the next four to six months. And then we're going to be entering into the protein market as well. So we have a lot on our plate, a lot of exciting things planned. Um, and yeah, it should be a, uh, should be a very exciting end of 2000 or rest of 2019 for us. Yeah. We hinted at that during the uh, earlier conversation about the protein and that's one that I'm personally really excited about. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely going to round out our line. Um, we have everything from pre-workouts, test boosters, natural anabolics, uh, GDAs, um, nootropics, fat burners, um, pump formulas, um, aminos, so really, if if you know you're a Performax fan, the only thing that we're missing, kind of in terms of the basics, is that protein. So we we want to come out with that protein to be able to give you know the true Performax Labs fans an ability to cover all their bases with just one brand. Absolutely. Uh, last question that I have here: um, What is the earliest age you would recommend somebody to start using supplements? So that's a tough one. Um, I think, I think it just depends on on the type of supplement. Um, so, for example, things like you know fish oil, uh, protein powder. I think those could be used relatively early. Um, and when I say early, I wouldn't give an exact age, but I would give maybe the idea of when you know, physical activity really starts to pick up um, and that, that, you know, essentially that kid would be, you know, very, very athletic, really pushing themselves. And then I think things like, you know, a little bit of protein, probably, you know, not the full serving, you know, maybe half a serving, you know, 10 to 15 grams, let's say, just because again, their protein requirements are going to be lesser than, you know, the average adult. Um, I think some stuff like that, it, it could for sure kind of be beneficial um, obviously things like pre-workouts and pump products, they're just, it just doesn't make any sense. I think those types of products would need to be held off until, you know, after 18, but I would say, you know, the more basic style supplements where it's almost food stuff, you know, it's almost, it's almost ingredients that are adding into just the diet and not, uh, uh, something above and beyond. I think then, um, 
again, I, I couldn't give an exact age, but I would think it would be when you know physical activity is is really starting to pick up and, and they're starting to, you know, be more athletic. And um, I mean, I'd like to hear kind of your response having you know having a little boy. Um, what your thought process is? Is that something where you plan to to hold off, or is that something where you'd be okay at a certain age? Would it be a certain level of activity? I mean, where where's your head at? Yeah, I mean, as a parent in this industry, like, you know, especially with the brand, the brand that we have, I'm completely confident um, giving my kids stuff like that. So I have a daughter, 17. She plays soccer. Um, she uses Eaminomax, or I mean, even before we had Eaminomax, she was using Aminos. Um, it just it it helps her, you know, endurance and performance. There's no reason not to. Um, she even used protein, you know, now she's older, 17 is close to that cusp of everything is kind of acceptable. So to your point of my son, who's only, he's almost four now. Uh, I even give him like half a protein bar once in a while. If he's having a day where he's not eating properly or eating enough, you know, protein's extremely important. And sometimes your kids are a little bit more finicky on what they're willing to eat each day. So if it requires me to give him you know, a quarter or a half of a protein bar or a like a quarter or a half scoop of a protein shake. He enjoys those. They got nowadays everything tastes really good. So he's willing to do those. It's not as, you know, much of a struggle for him as a full meal of anything else. And it gets him what he needs. You know, obviously that's the only thing is protein at his age. I would never give him really anything else because he just doesn't need it. But I'm fully confident that um it depends on age and it depends on the situation. You know, he only gets those kind of things if he's not eating well that day. So it's not like on top of his square meals. Now, when he, like you said, when he's older and more athletic and playing sports, then I can introduce things. But, you know, when it, when it comes to my older daughter, she's basically into anything except for pre-workouts. I don't really think she needs anything like that yet. But the aminos and the protein are definitely acceptable to me, at least as a parent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's really what, what it comes down to is, you know, what is hopefully the parent does the, the appropriate research to find out. Hopefully the parent finds a brand um, that they have uh, some trust in. And then, you know, it, it comes down to what they, they feel comfortable with. But like I said, I think it's going to be the more food stuff. Um, style products, you know, a protein bar, um, protein powder, you know, multivitamin, fish oil, you know, maybe even aminos at a a certain degree at a certain age. Um, I think all those things where you're essentially just supplementing um, a diet, I think all those things are are applicable. Um, But of course, you know, pre-workouts and pump products and all things like that, like your daughter, she probably has more than enough energy at 17. She probably doesn't need a pre-workout. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's, it's kind of the, the parents, uh, ability to have the due diligence to do the research and kind of figure out what, what they're comfortable with and what they're okay with taking. Absolutely. Cool. So is that, is that it in terms of questions? Uh, yeah, that was the last one I had for today. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody listening. If you guys have any topics that you'd like me and Derek to cover, um, definitely comment below and let us know. And we'll see you again on episode three.